This world, it's a video game. And it's full of bad guys. We need you to be the good guy. Jonah, 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 look! It's the latest issue of The Hollywood Reporter. It says here that they're making a movie version of the video game Uncharted starring Tom Holland. Oh, awesome. I love that game. It gets better. There's also going to be a Sonic the Hedgehog sequel where Idris Elba plays Knuckles. Idris Elba? That's a great casting. Wait, hold on. Wait, was Knuckles British the whole time or? Yes, of course. He's from Bristol. Oh, oh. Oh, oh, look at this. Crash Bandicoot is going to be starring an actual Bandicoot they taught to speak English. Wait, okay, Dave, did you make this whole thing up? or Some of it. Okay, I'm not sure these movies are going to work, but you know, particularly the, the part about the talking animal. Like, I don't know. I don't even know what a Bandicoot is. Then you've truly leveled up, my friend, because the only way to make a good video game movie is to not base it on an actual video game. Did you swallow the mushroom back on that Enchanted Castle level, Dave? Mayhaps. See you in four to six hours, baby. This is Galaxy Brains, and today we're talking about video game movies, the nature of existence, and Free Guy with Kind of Funny Gamecast co-founder Greg Miller. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the podcast where movies, TV, and overthinking collide. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Dave's non-playable character, Jonah Ray. And each week on the show, we start with the logic brain, advance to the critical brain, question everything with the interrogation brain, and of course, arrive at the blessed state of the galaxy brain. Today, we're getting the cheat codes for how to make a great video game movie from Kind of Funny Gamecast co-founder Greg Miller. But before the secrets are revealed, we have to do a let's play, dot, 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 for our minds in this week's edition of Logic Brain. Oh, baby, oh, baby, it's spoiler time. It's the most spoiler time of the episode. That's right, Joda. This is the part of the episode where we tell you every important thing that happens in the movie. So if you haven't seen Free Guy, how about you rage quit this episode right now and go give us a tasty five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Nom, 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 nom. Tastes so good when it's five stars. Think of it like a power-up for our careers. Okay, all right. Now that we've got a tight-knit group of like-minded individuals here, let's dive into Free Guy. This movie, Dave, is a scathing expose that blows the lid off the corrupt video game industry, where handsome men and expensive sneakers steal intellectual property whenever they want. Well, I guess that's one way to look at it. You are right that Free Guy is about a guy who steals the code for a video game and makes it way shittier. 
That game is called Free City, and it's kind of a Grand Theft Auto-style nihilistic open-world shooter where you are rewarded for sociopathic behavior. In that game is a non-playable character named Guy, played by Ryan Reynolds. My name is Guy, and I live in Free City. I have everything I need. Guy's life in Free City is pre-programmed and monotonous until one day he meets a game avatar that causes him to fall in love. That avatar and the real person behind it is played by Jodie Comer from Killing Eve, which is an amazing show. And she's doing half of her natural British accent in the video game scenes and then half this indeterminate American accent in the, uh, the rest of the movie. I think she's supposed to be from Ohio. Anyway, Free City, the game was built on top of a much more boring game called Life Itself, which was an attempt to create a game with characters that could evolve. That game was created by Jodie Comer's character and her not-boyfriend played by Joe Keery from Stranger Things. That hair. Good salad. Good grief, man. If you remember our Mighty Ducks episode, you know what salad means. Okay? That's a little Easter egg <laughs> for our true fans who've all given us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts by now, I'm sure. The code for that game was stolen by evil tech bro Antoine played by Taika Waititi. You love Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? Mm -hmm. No. If you love Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I made Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I know that you love Kentucky Fried Chicken, why would I make another restaurant called, uh, I don't know, Albuquerque Boiled Turkey? Who really is in everything this summer. Let me sh know if he shows up as a yoga instructor on the White Lotus. <laughs> so anyway, Antoine is going to shut down the Free City game in favor of a somehow shittier sequel to Free City that would wipe out Guy and all his friends who are now sentient computer programs. Like Tron. No, this is different. You see, the game characters just want to be free to grow and learn and live happy lives, but the evil company that made them only wants to make a profit. Like Tron. No, these characters are hoping to understand their place in the universe, even while knowing their god is uncaring and malevolent. Yeah, like Tron, Dave. All right, yes, yes. It's a lot like Tron, Jonah. God. Guy becomes a folk hero in the game by only doing good, nice things instead of blowing up banks and stealing cars. At the end, he's found a paradise for his friends where they can do whatever they want. Also, Jodie Comer and Joe Keery kiss. Or at least I think they did before the screen goes black for no reason. We don't get to see any of the, like, the, the, the great pomp and circumstance of their romantic moment. It just stops. Whatever. That's fine. There's a lot of heavy stuff here in the movie about the morality of video games, the meaning of life, and the creator's responsibility to his or her creation. But to get into all of that cosmic gumbo, we've got to level up in a segment we call Critical Brain. <laughs> I like this movie. I had a great time. Jonah, how did you feel about Free Guy? The first 10 minutes, I was like, I don't, I'm not going to like this. And I get it. There was a lot of work they needed to do to set up everything that had to be set up in this movie. And uh, all of a sudden, I think once they broke out into the real world and you start seeing the kind of the other storylines start to uh, peak up, just it hooked me right away. And I was, uh, I was really into it. And I, I, I just, uh, just, I had to get into it first. Yeah. I think a lot of these movies where it's two levels of reality have a hard time getting you to enjoy the unreality part. The most exciting parts of The Matrix are actually the real world parts. Well, not the real world parts, but the parts in The, the Matrix, in the, the approximation of the real world inside the computer. And I think that that's one of the rare examples of the not world, the illusion, being more exciting than the reality because it's like inversed. Yeah. Like a lot of these movies, the character goes into the computer or is sucked into a new world and that new world is Technicolor and, and the original world is black and white. The Wizard of Oz. Like who, who enjoys the black and white scenes in The Wizard of Oz? Losers. That's who. It's boring. There's no place like home. 
It's even sepia, which is even more boring than black and white. <laughs> it's like a, a, one of those photos, you know, like a daguerreotype come to life. No, thank you. This movie, like Tron, doesn't really kick into high gear until you realize what's actually going on. If you've seen the original Tron recently, they spend so much time in the real world before they go in the game. And it's just so dull. It's a sleepy time Sunday kind of movie. Absolutely. Put it on and you're kind of in and out of it while you're watching it. And somebody like jumps over like a brick. <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking so much about Tron, yeah. but that is a an example of a movie that I love that's actually not as good as this movie. <laughs> this is a really well put together, straightforward screenplay that they made hum like a well-oiled machine. Once we get to that point, like you said, Jonah, where the movie kicks into high gear, you're like, all right, these guys know what they're doing. Uh, the performances are solid. And Ryan Reynolds always makes me laugh. Him saying, ooh, that tastes like sadness when I drink it. Like, that makes me laugh every time. I don't I don't understand what's wrong with me. Medium coffee, cream, two sugars. You know it. Mm. Who put a flavor grenade in my mouth? Pull the pin. He is not a comedian, but he does have a, a style like a comedian would. He has his go-to style of, like, saying jokes. You can do an impression of Ryan Reynolds very easily. It might not be like a perfect impression, but it's you understand the cadence and the rhythms of the, the way that he says stuff. And for whatever reason, it's just charming every time for me. I, even Van Wilder, I'm like, all right, this is kind of a fun movie, even though it's sexist and stupid. And he's in a ton of terrible movies too. Yeah, yeah. Right, like he was in Waiting, I think, was that? Oh yeah, uh-huh. For a guy that's been so successful for so long and is a you know huge superstar and uh, a hero in his beloved Canada. <laughs> he's never really like broke out really big. And it, does that make sense? Like he's huge, but he's not huge. Yeah. Deadpool is a, a massive success, but he's underneath that costume the whole time. Like he is kind of an underdog in that way. And I think people do want to root for him because he is, he has been slugging away for a long time. But like, it's this thing where you want to root for him. And that is kind of inherent in that kind of star quality we kind of talk about sometimes where it's like, you're rooting for the guy at the same time as the character. It's kind of one in the same. That's why he's so good in Free Guy is because you're rooting for both him and their character and Ryan Reynolds. You're rooting for Guy and Ryan. Yeah, this is a one of the, the most important traits of a movie star is that when they come on screen, you will just want to like them. Like they have a thing. Ryan Reynolds puts a lot of himself into all of his movies. It's very much his style. It's always kind of him, but it's also his sense of humor is in there a lot. You can tell his some of his politics by just watching the movie. Just kind of like how you could tell all the things that Mike Myers likes because of even So I Married an Axe Murderer. You know that he likes the beat poets and it's like the way he's funny when he wants to hang out and stuff like that. That's what Ryan Reynolds is doing in Free Guy because in this movie, they're also talking about like gun control and anti-capitalist behaviors and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a really interesting scene toward the end of the movie where Guy is talking to the other NPCs, the other non-playable characters about what it's like in the real world. And Someone asked him about gun violence. Like, is there gun violence? He's like, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's quite a bit of it. Jodie Comer's character says that. She's like, yeah, there's a ton of it, and it's kind of a problem. And that was such a, a an interesting choice to kind of plant your flag in a big four-quadrant movie because it's such a testy topic. They did land on it pretty hard. I think that they could have uh, thrown it away a little bit more to make it you know, more baked in, but no one likes gun violence. People love guns and people hate guns, but nobody loves gun violence. Right. So it's still a safe, a safe stance. Yeah, don't shoot me, 
is a perfectly acceptable thing to say. What is the solution to people shooting each other? For some, it's having more guns so you can shoot back. Or for some, it's take them away so we can't shoot each other. And that, I guess you're right. It doesn't really address that part of it. So in the context of a video game movie, a movie about our, our relationship to video games and video game culture, it's very pointed in its satire about the macho bullshit in most video games and how toxic it can be, how toxic that relationship between the player and the game, the player and the other players in a multiplayer online you know, universe can be. Massive multiplayer. Thank you. It's massive. Yeah. I, I like that when they decided to name this genre, they're like, okay, listen, this is not just a multiplayer online game. This is not just a big multiplayer online game. This, my friend, is massive. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. 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 An MMO RPG. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't need the extra M. You've just done it to just show off, to just measure your penis. Anyway, this I love this movie because it does try to try to draw a line in the sand. And Guy as a character is trying to clean up the game a little bit. He makes a choice to level up doing only good things. That is not how you level up in a real video game. Most of the time, you do have to murder someone on the street, steal their money. I didn't play these games, really. I never really got into, you know, Grand Theft Auto. I never really had consoles. And then I got, like, a Panasonic 3DO because I thought that was going to beat out PlayStation for some dumb reason. And I was so burned by it that I just never got another game console. And I lost out on it. And I never really got it. I would just try and play Vice City at my friend's place. And I was like, you just murder people? I don't know if I like that. Please, like, just let me be, you know, in Castlevania, just trying to stop an evil an evil Dracula. A Dracula. <laughs> yeah, there becomes a point in video game history where there is no morality anymore. And it's just like, well, this is a way for people to blow off steam. That's fine. You know, I loved Grand Theft Auto. I remember when Grand Theft Auto San Andreas came out and they're like, there's a version of the game where you can fuck. And I was like, what, really? Seriously? Yeah. It's hot coffee. <laughs> the hot coffee patch. You can fuck in the game. And I was like, all right, here we go. All the things we were promised with Leisure Suit Larry are finally <laughs> coming to fruition. Oh, yeah. You know I played Leisure Suit Larry when I was in middle school. And we had computer lab. And there was one guy. He's like, yeah, I got Leisure Suit Larry and... I got Duke Nukem, and he says the fuck word. The fuck word. Yes, we're going to stick it to the man. We're going to play fucking Duke Nukem during computer lab, and we're supposed to be practicing typing. Fuck them. Fuck our stupid teachers. You know, thinking about, like, the idea of just the sex and video games, stuff like that, there is that thing that happens in this movie where, the like, it's the divergent thing where it's like when they kiss and then you see all of these lines kind of go out from – Guy from Ryan Reynolds' character. And that harkened back to me a little bit of um, the divergence in uh, Loki, where it's just like because he fell in love, it like altered the reality. Yeah, love being the thing that conquers all is a popular movie trope and one that I think is nice. Yeah, it's nice. You know, especially in the context of video games where love and romance are things that are typically not possible. Joe Keery's character, when she tells him, I kissed, I kissed guy in the game. And he's like, there's no button for that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, of course there's no button for that because these games are really just about blowing stuff up and being the toughest person. And sometimes it's horny. Shake it, baby. But here's the crazy thing. Joe Keery's character makes it so, uh, you know, guy is in love with Jodie Comer's character. And so he's programmed like this, 
this longing for this person. This is the person he loves. And then yet he will never be able to have her or have love. Did he just create an incel within that world? Did he create an AI incel? Yeah, except, you know, his response to not ever being able to fall in love is just being like, oh, well, I guess I'm never going to be in love. Oh, well. But in the, you know, in the real world, they get really pissed off about it. Yeah, exactly. But no, you know what he does? He just goes, he's like, well, I guess I'm going to dedicate my life to my best friend, Lil Rel Howley. Lil Rel is great in this movie, by the way. He has. He's great in everything. Yeah, he is. And he is in everything. He was in Space Jam. He's in this. Uh, He's just, he's popping up. He's doing it all. He has some of the more sincere moments in a very sincere movie. If we're not real, doesn't that mean that nothing you do matters? I am sitting here with my best friend trying to help him get through a tough time. Now, if that's not real, I don't know what is. He's great in this. And this is a sincere movie, like like I was saying, you know, and like you're alluding to. I thought there was even going to be a uh, They Live, more of a, I mean, there's a little They Live reference with the glasses. Oh, when he tried to put the glasses on him, I thought the same thing. I was like, put on the glasses. Fuck you, I will put on the glasses. And they're going to fight, but they don't. But they made like the sad version of it. It was like, I can't. <laughs> I simply can't put on the glasses. <laughs> Please don't make me. Instead of John Carpenter directing They Live, you and I directed. Yeah. That it's just like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to. Don't make me. I don't. I'm not up to it emotionally. Instead of like a 50 minute fight scene in an alley, it would be yours and mine character like at a diner all night, just having a like a emotional conversation about whether or not one of us should put on the glasses or not. I don't know. If I put on the glasses, then it's going to change my whole perspective. And then I know, but that's a good thing, Dave. Okay, but what about my family? You know, I'm going to have to explain it to them too, and they're not going to understand. But you can make them understand. Do you want to live blindly, Dave? No, sorry. Can we just get a refill in the coffee yeah thank you so much sorry yeah we'll take the check actually i don't think i can do this much more you know no 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 no. don't bring the check he's a pie do you want some pie dave we're just i i I gotta get you to put on these glasses like an apple apple any anything you want this is what have you got pie wise like and can i get some ice cream on the side not on top we're literally in a house of pies okay so they have any pie any pie any pie yeah you have a chest pie the building is made of pies so you can just pull any pie you want from but make sure it's not a load-bearing pie what about a derby pie I mean, that might be in the hallway towards the bathroom. I don't know. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Just come back. Put on the glasses. Yeah. That's the movie we would make. Um, <laughs> before we move on, Jonah, you said you don't really have a lot of history with these kinds of games, with the open world sandbox games. Because of that, I want to ask you a really tough question. Let's say you lived in one of these games, like Guy lives in, in Free City. What would be the environment you would want to frolic in if you played or lived inside of an open world sandbox MMORPG. I would probably want to do like a Seinfeld MMORPG where I just kind of went around making mistakes and then trying to fix my my social faux pas. And there'd just be a lot of delis I could go to. And then, you know, every once in a while, go on a date and then have it go horribly wrong because I ate an eclair out of a trash can. <laughs> If there was an MMORPG of uh, mid-90s Austin, Texas. Wow. Richard Linklater's Austin, Texas. And that would be the game. And uh, you would just go in and you just wander around Austin and you get to see all the bands. They're just playing. You can go in and out of bars. If you want to relax, you can go tubing. You can get into long conversations with, uh, you know, uh, people from Slacker as you kind of just wander around, you know, the movie Slacker, or you can, if you want, you can go into like a little time machine within the game. It's, it's what I call the uh, hot tea plug-in, where then you can go back in time and you can hang out in Dazed and Confused. So it's all basically the Richard Linklater uh, multiverse. Is there going to be an expansion pack for the Before Trilogy? <laughs> 
now that takes place in Texas. So uh, I guess you would have to. You're going to have to create basically a whole new game. So if you're out there and you're a movie producer or you're a director or you're, you're a studio head, you know, you're a big wig in Hollywood, Holly weird, as we call it. No one calls it that. Why don't you take this? What? People call it that all the time, Jonah. I heard you snickering. <laughs> well, people always call it Holly weird. Anyway, if you're out there and you have the power, make this game and then let us do the movie adaptation of the game. Yes. The top line takeaway I want everyone to grab from this episode is that this movie, Free Guy, is an awesome video game movie. And it's hard to believe, but yes, I think that this movie, Free Guy, is the best video game film of all time. Yeah, but it's this is not a movie based on a game. You know, this is a movie about gaming. So does it count? I don't think it does. Ah, see, but that's the thing. What makes this a wonderful story is because we don't have the baggage of adapting an interactive concept into a traditional narrative. Video games are appealing because they allow you to be part of the story, to make decisions, to shoot stuff with other stuff. Free Guy uses the mechanics and culture of gaming as the basis for its story, rather than trying to bend a sprawling, choose-your-own-adventure-style game onto a linear track. You can't compare Free Guy to Mortal Kombat. You know, it's like comparing a movie musical to a documentary about a concert. Justin Bieber, Never Say Never is a classic, and I won't hear another word. You saw that in 3D, didn't you? I did, and I could hardly see the last 20 minutes because my tears fogged up the glasses. Look, <laughs> think about it this way. Galaxy Quest is not a Star Trek movie, but it is a movie about why people love Star Trek. Free Guy is kind of like that, but for video games. I felt more of the thrill of playing video games during Free Guy than I ever have during a movie based on a real game like Mortal Kombat. Why? Because this movie understands the joy of discovery and the magic of being transported to another world that is inherent in gaming. It's digital bliss. Dave, looks like with this scorching hot take, you just hit level 100 in the game of podcasting. The only other people to hit that milestone are Mark Marin, the host of Call Her Daddy, and star of the sitcom MASH, Alan Alda. Alan Alda has a podcast? Yes, yes. It's, it's mostly about weight loss and how to stay flexible after 70, but I, I mean, I think it's actually perfect for you. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid Conversations. Oh, wow. Look, I, it says here there's an episode with Helen Mirren where they talk about the importance of a fiber-heavy diet. <laughs> it's a good one. I'm going to go download this right now. And after I'm done, we're going to talk to video game expert and YouTube host Greg Miller about how to adapt video games to movies. Bye! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Galaxy Brains. We've been gifted with an extra life, full health bars, and loads of power-ups. It's time to put all that to good use with our special guest, Greg Miller, who can explain to us how Free Guy ended up being one of the best video game movies of the last decade without being based on an actual video game. Greg, thank you for joining us today. Dave, Jonah, thank you so much for having me. The first thing I want to ask you about is... Free Guy kind of takes the idea of the non-playable character and crafts a sort of a meta-narrative around an NPC suddenly having self-awareness. Do you think that this is actually a feasible thing that could happen? Do I think that an NPC could actually come to life and realize he's he's an NPC? Yeah, of course. I know it sounds ridiculous. No, no. it's it, I say it with a grin, but like, I just want to make sure I understood the question before I look like a goofy weirdo. Like, <laughs> Oh, for sure. Yeah, I can see it happening one day. Like, we talk about AI all the time and how PlayStation keeps filing patents for it. Like, it, it was right before PlayStation 5 where they had filed a patent that was basically like, the game being able to help you understand that you're stuck and talk to you that way. Like, it, it sounds crazy to think of it. I could see in the future, like an AI being very much well aware that they are in your game trying to do this. And then if they can pass the Turing test and then have a conversation with you of like, hey, I'd like my own game. I don't want to be a part of that. We're way down the rabbit hole on what could possibly happen. But like as technology continues to spin out of control, who knows? I think about the self-driving car a lot and the fact that we're not that far away from it being a mass market consumer possibility. It's just that it, you know, the ones that we have now are constantly getting into accidents. But it's basically there. Sure, they're confused by the white line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like being in a car with a drunk driver. It's like, where are we going? What's <laughs> happening? This is not good. What's well, a part of the robot uprising, right? And the AI and everything else as we continue to push this. And I think, you know, the fact that you look at people like Stephen Hawking, right, who was very clear of like, we need to look into this. <laughs> what do we slow our roll a little exactly, bit? Exactly, <laughs> right? It's all about the food chain. And yeah, what happens when uh, the things we're using and abusing for our entertainment do figure it out? Well, speaking of entertainment and what we what we choose to consume, it seems like now more than ever, video games are ripe for adaptation. Uh, you know, we were, we were talking earlier on the show about why I think that this is a more successful video game adaptation than an actual video game adaptation. And the history of filmic video game adaptations is pretty shaky. Sure. You know, for every Mortal Kombat, there's a Super Mario Brothers, Doom, or a Prince of Persia. So what do you think are the ingredients for a, a great video game movie or even a good passable video game movie? I think it has to do with not copying what we've played. I feel like there's few and far between examples where that is what works out, right? When you look at something like Free Guy, and even that being something of an original IP, right? But you then turn around and you look at Sonic the Hedgehog, Detective Pikachu, video game movies, and I put air quotes around them, right? That people and gamers have flocked to and enjoyed and been like, this is something great. It's because they're not telling you the exact story of Sonic the Hedgehog. They're not telling you the exact story of what Detective Pikachu was. And I think when you see movies that are based on games try to do that, that's when they fail the most. When you see something like Tomb Raider, 
where, all right, cool, you know, uh, Chris Dynamics had stumbled on something with this Tomb Raider reboot that everybody really dug. You know, they had Camilla Luddington from Grey's Anatomy in there. They had a great cast. They had a great story. They had all this different stuff. And so then they go and they make the movie. And watching the movie... They're trying to follow it for the most part. At the end, where it gets kind of supernatural and uh, breaks everything, they they, they pivoted. <laughs> but for the most part, they're following that game really closely. And as a, somebody who played that game and loved that game, it pales in comparison to what the source material was. I think it's so much. You know, how many times growing up, and even to this day, do you leave a movie and you're like, oh man, the book was better. I was thinking about that. It's like the the book adaptation. Like, there's so much in a book. There's so many interior thoughts and all the descriptions that make uh, reading a book uh, enjoyable. And there's just too much of it to put into this movie where you have to visually represent anything. And I think for games, it's even more hard because it's just like this idea that there's an experience that people have, a personal experience people have playing the game. And that can't be replicated because they're like, this isn't how I thought it was going to be. You nail such a big part of it, right? Where the discrepancy between games to movies that I don't think, even though they do struggle with it, books to movies don't have as much, right? Is that... If you're reading a book or you're watching a movie, right, you are a passive observer of what's happening in that world. Whereas with a game, even if it's a narrative game where you're just playing certain sections and then you get to the cutscenes and that's how the story actually plays out, you are that character. When I play Uncharted, I am Nathan Drake, which means that when I choose to uh, attack an area a certain way, I am making that choice for Nathan, which immediately gives me this agency and ownership over him in a way that when I go to see the new Tom Holland film and he goes in and does something completely different or, you know, snaps somebody's neck and grins about it, I'm going to be like, oh man, that's not how this actually played out in my head. My head canon was way different for how this went. It's like, it's memory and it's your personal memory. It's like, and it's almost like someone else telling the story and you're like, that's not how it went. I was there. Exactly. My example for this is always watchdogs. The idea is pretty much that there's usually there's watchdogs one, there was watchdogs two, and then now there's watchdogs legion. But I'll talk specifically about watchdogs two for the most part. You're now going to be this character, Marcus. You know, he's in his 20s, he's a hacker in San Francisco. It is colorful. He is into movie trailers. He has this group of other hacker friends that wear masks that light up and do this stuff. And for me, with that game, there was this really crazy moment of it's single player. We're all playing it. We got into a party group on PlayStation. So it was me and two other friends who were also playing. And I was running around playing and talking about how much I liked Marcus. One guy said, okay, hold on. I got to go get more rubber bullets. And the other guy laughed. And I was like, I don't use my gun in this game. You can get rubber bullets. And then he was like, oh, no. Like, that's how we justify to ourselves why Marcus is using a gun to kill people. Because in my game, you need to get, you know, the MacGuffin from inside of the uh, SF building commission or whatever. You can go in there, guns blazing, do all this different stuff. Or what I always did, because I thought it played to who Marcus was, is I would sit down outside of the place, send in my drone, hack the thing, steal the digital file, never actually get my hands dirty. And so for my friends who were playing, they had that same headcanon for who Marcus was, but they justified it still that they wanted to shoot things. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. If I was to watch a Watch Dogs 2 movie and it was Marcus running and lighting the place up, I'd be like, this is not my guy. You bring up a really interesting thing because it's like you said, you you were doing it how you thought the main character should do it. The true idea of role-playing. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're not doing how you would do it. You're like, who is this character? How would he do it? And that's like, you know, that's that idea that we were talking about. It's like, this is your storytelling. That's your performance. You're acting and directing this story for yourself. And that's how you feel that it should be you know, skin for like a better term. Yeah, 100%, right? And I think that's because how games over the years have taught us to do this. And I think it takes a very special game to remove that agency and have you play through a game and not be in control of what's happening. And for that example, I always go to The Last of Us. Right, right. And like Last of Us about to have an HBO show. And I think this is going to be the first great 
video game live action adaptation from an actual thing rather than something like a Sonic or a Free Guy or something that's, you know, taking liberties with it. And the reason I go with that is because The Last of Us was Naughty Dog saying, this is the story we are telling you. You don't have a choice in it. And without spoilers, for me, it was always that I played through that whole game. I connected with the character that I was playing as named Joel. And you get to the end and something happens. And when it first happened, uh, I got to a game over screen because I expected the game to pop up and give me the choice. Do you want to do this or do you not want to do this? And it didn't. And it is a game that is very much like, here's the story we are telling you. We are going to make you do things you do not want to do. This character will make a choice you don't want this character to make, but it's because you're along for the ride. Yeah, that's not a thing that most video game players are used to. And Free Guy is very specifically about the idea of choice in a society where there are essentially no rules. Or the rules are to get you to do bad things or to encourage bad behavior. So many video games like a Grand Theft Auto or what have you are about, all right, well, good luck. (laughs) Do whatever you want. You know, make your choice. (laughs) And The Last of Us being truly cinematic means that it can, like you said, go into other mediums because there's authorial intent. There is no authorial intent to Grand Theft Auto. So I think that we are in a point where we can have a great, as you said, video game adaptation in movies and television because there's the author behind it. In Fortnite, right, you are making the story. That's why that's so popular. In Minecraft, you are making the story. That's why that's so popular. You know, people want to get into these open world multiplayer games like that and have those water cooler moments where it's something that organically happened. You see the Call of Duty, you know, headshot videos on Twitter all the time, right? And TikTok of people, you know, jumping out of the helicopter 360 no scoping somebody as they're across the map. And it's like, that's the moment. It's not the moment of the big single player MacGuffin reveal that I was the bad guy all along in Call of Duty. That's just something that you get to play when your your friends aren't online. Another disconnect, I think, too, in these things is like like these games we're talking about, they're very social for a lot of people. Sure. That's another disconnect. Like movies are not social. You go and watch it and you are, you, you might be next to somebody and you might talk about it afterwards, but while it's happening, it's not social. It's a way to look at video games differently, right? But in order to make these things into films, they have to have narratives, they have to have stories, they have to be compelling. And it's looking at the entire genre differently in order to get it to that point where it's like, okay, this can be a movie. So I want to ask you, Greg, do you have a favorite video game movie adaptation? Knowing that it's not a perfect one-to-one comparison between the game and the movie, these are mostly flawed adaptations. Is there one that you like better than the others? I think we're getting into a groove with it where I really enjoyed Sonic. I really enjoyed Detective Pikachu. You know what I mean? I think, you know, people like to throw it in there even though it's based on the books, but I like I loved The Witcher. But again, that's based on the books. I know don't, don't come at me in the comments or whatever. Or if you're just listening, yell out your window at me as you drive your car. No, come <laughs> at him in the comments. It's like, this is good, good for the podcast. Please. More engagement. Drag him. But it is that idea of like, I think we're getting to a point where people understand it. You know, we all grew up with these passions that now that we're the adults, we're making the things and doing it right. It's so hard to explain to people, like I'm a Ghostbusters fan, right? And a pretty big one at that. And like when I was growing up, if there was something Ghostbusters related, I snatched it up because that just didn't exist. That wasn't happening, right? I remember what a big deal was when Maddie Collector put out their first, you know, ghost trap that was accurate. Like, yeah. Now Spirit Halloween has amazing Ghostbuster props for 20 bucks. Yeah, there was, yeah, there was <laughs> nothing. I remember this because I'm a big Ghostbusters fan myself. And so if, I found a t-shirt at Comic-Con or something or like an exclusive variant of an action figure or a reprint of the soundtrack on vinyl. It was like a huge deal because this was a moribund property. 
And now it's just yeah. like we're inundated with all of this stuff. And it's because we all grew up and now we have both the power to make things, but also the income to buy things. And so, you know, that's why things are speaking to us. Exactly. Even for me, you know, as a comic book fan growing up, like now you walk through any target, right? And there are Marvel superheroes on everything. And you're like, what a time to be alive. My, you know, my family that never cared about comics. I remember being next to my cousin at Endgame and her crying when Iron Man dies. You're like, oh my God, like they've done it. They've made you care about the things I grew up in love with. They even throw that in to the end of the fucking Free Guy movie where it's like, you know, all of a sudden he has the Captain America shield and a Hulk hand. And then a lightsaber too. And then a lightsaber. It's like, that's the thing about this, this shit where it's like, just give them what they want. Give it to them. Just fucking give it to them. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog, they spent millions of dollars to completely change the design of a character. And why did they do that? Because people complained. And so it seems that the more vocal people become, the more the studios, the more the production companies, the creatives behind these films and TV shows say, let's just let's just lean into the thing. Let's give them knuckles and, and tails in the sequel. <laughs> but let's talk about the other the other form of adaptation, which is less popular now, I think, but turning a movie or TV show into a video game. I personally have a lot of fond memories of playing Lord of the Rings of Two Towers on PS2. That said, the Enter the Matrix game was a giant piece of shit and everybody hated it when it came out, <laughs> but you had to play it because it had like 10 minutes of cut scenes that you needed to see for the movie to make sense. What happened to that part of the game industry? It feels like that isn't as important as it used to be. I mean, a couple of different things happened. I would like to tell you strictly that, you know, gamers grew up and were able to say, no, we won't, we don't want this, right? Like we want it to be good. But it was also obviously a huge portion of business growing up too and business changing. For this example, I always go to Marvel. And, you know, obviously the MCU has been so dominant and it changed cinema and yada, yada, yada. But in that same conversation is Marvel Games. And that's, you know, their game publishing label. Before they started the Marvel Games publishing label with Bill Roseman and a whole bunch of other really talented people, it had been that, all right, cool, Sega, you have licensed out the IP for Iron Man. Go make some Iron Man games. It'd be great if you tie into the movie. And Sega's like, we want to make as much money as possible. Yes, we will tie this into the movie. And that meant that a really mediocre Iron Man game came out around the movie. That was not true to the film and not true to the comics, but it made you kind of feel like Iron Man. So, of course, you picked it up and you ran around and beat people up. And... Marvel games, as video games continue to get more and more successful, right? As you saw things become more and more clear that this industry was going to be viable and be able to eclipse the movie industry in so many different ways, including revenue and yada, yada, yada. Marvel games was founded to be like, all right, cool, here's what we're going to do instead. Rather than willy-nilly give out the licenses, rather than go the other direction, a lot of people also try to do, which is start your own studio to make games, which of course takes years to spin up, years to get to gel, years to actually produce a product, even if you don't cancel it. Yep. Anyways, Marvel Games was like, what we're going to do is be the bridge. We are going to go find talented developers. We are going to take our Marvel IP from the last, at the time, what was 70, 75 years, and we are going to work with them to make sure it's an authentic Marvel experience. And that's how you got, you know, Telltale's Guardians of the Galaxy. That's how you got Marvel Spider-Man from Insomniac. And you look at Spider-Man from Insomniac and... It's amazing. Yeah. And no pun intended, right? Like, and you look at, they just put out Miles Morales for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 uh, with the launch of the PlayStation 5 last year. And that game is still in the NPD top 10 every month. Like, it was this shift, right? Of rather than get the quick return, rather than get the, the crappy game out to everybody at the t launch of the movie, 
if we actually go in and we actually treat with respect and we actually make something special, it can be huge. Well, it's just like the idea of like exploitation films where it's just like, they're like, it's like, yeah, let's do a sword and sandals. It's like, we don't like this stuff, but we know that's what's selling. So that was gaming for years. What is what I'm kind of getting from you is it's just people going, yeah, yeah, just get, put the iron guy in the, the video game and then sell it, sell it, sell it. Exactly. And then now it's like people that actually like really like those and always wanted them to be a little bit better. And now they have the control. They're adults with money, just like you keep saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's back to what I'm talking about. Of like, you know, again, nobody said that to make a bad game. Like the people at Sega who were making an Iron Man game probably really did love Iron Man. <laughs> and like, cool. Wait, we only have nine months to make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. What? Uh, okay. Geez, then you know, here are all these great ideas we're going to drop and give you just the bare minimum of what it could be. Yeah, that's that's a shame that that happened because I do enjoy a lot of a lot of those old timey movie adaptations, TV adaptations because it's just sort of like living in that world that you just saw. You know, it, you get to experience it, be interactive with that thing that you thought was so cool. For me, it was Spider-Man 2. If you ever played Spider-Man 2 on PS2. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That game was incredible. And that was the thing, right? Of like, who cared about the story, which they were trying to tie in loosely to the movie, right? It was more that you had an open world New York to swing around for the first time. And so you just swing around doing the same like four crimes, right? The kid lost his balloon or whatever. The balloon. Yeah, the fucking balloon. (laughs) My balloon. I'll never forget it. Yeah, I'm going to leave that kid alone. I don't need to do that. But it felt great to be Spider-Man. Thank you so much for joining us. This was incredibly illuminating as someone who is a lapsed gamer. Perfect time to get back on. Come on, jump back on the horse. You're right, yeah. I need to go out there. I need to get a PS5. I need to get back on the train. Thank you so much for joining us and and giving us this education and talking to us about why the Super Mario Brothers movie is the best video game movie of all time. I'm just kidding. Oh, no. (laughs) Imagine if I just totally pivoted to that at the end. (laughs) Knowing all that, I think Super Mario Brothers is the best. They really nailed the vision. (laughs) They did. It reminded me so much of playing the first game. All right, Greg, thank you so much, and we will um, see you online. (laughs) See you in the internet. (laughs) Bye, guys. As you know, each week we wrap up the show with a galaxy brain take from one of our listeners. Here's Sam from Chicago on George Miller and dance. Kylie, am I reading this right? George Miller and dance? Is George Miller and dance like Netflix and chill? Hi, Dave and Jonah. This is Sam from Chicago. Uh, My galaxy brain take is that the 2015 masterwork Mad Max Fury Road is not just an action uh, extravaganza, but it is also a dance film. A dance film being the, the movement of bodies that is translated into the medium of film in such a way that could not be captured on the stage. Uh, I think looking at the history, uh, like the oral history of how George Miller storyboarded everything and how specifically each frame is shot, that that movie is way more of a choreographed piece than it is more of a traditional movie in many ways. So yeah, I think that Mad Max Fury Road is a dance film and I will fight anyone who disagrees. That's my galaxy brain take. Okay, bye. (laughs) Okay, Sam, I don't want to fight you. Don't make me fight you. I want to dance with you, Sam. I want to dance with you. I want to dance with Sam from Chicago. I want to agree with Sam from Chicago. <laughs> want to feel the heat with Sam from Chicago. Sam, this is a good take. I like this take. Why? Here's why. Because, as you pointed out, George Miller 
developed this movie almost like it was a silent film. There's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. It's very kinetic. There's a lot of movement. It's called Mad Max Fury Road, and Max hardly says anything for most of the movie. It's so visual that it does have similarities to how you might consume story and character and theme from uh, a ballet or an opera or something. Well, especially the guys on the sticks, you know, the like the bendy sticks that come down. Like I've seen that at, uh, you know, the Haunted Hayride uh, in, in Griffith Park in Los Angeles. I've seen variations of that in video of Cirque du Soleil. It's like there was very much uh, a dance element to this entire movie. Yeah, the doof warrior, the guy with the with the guitar when they're driving out into the wasteland. You know, it's very musical and it's it's very balletic and, and poetic in a lot of ways. So yeah, this is a great take, Sam. Thank you for calling in. Uh, I'm glad we don't have to fight. I really didn't want to have to punch you in the face. Now, Sam, I want you to call back and give us a, your pitch for George Miller's Chicago. Or Bob Fosse's Mad Max Fury Road. Jazz hands. <laughs> if you want to call in and have us improvise some music around your take, We'd love to hear your galaxy brain opinions on next week's episode topic, the 15th anniversary of Idiocracy. Or you can ask us about any movie, TV show, or weird YouTube video you might be enjoying right now. Believe it or not, we didn't cover the other Ryan Reynolds summer movie, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Maybe you want to talk about Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins. More specifically, how is any one man as dreamy as Henry Golding? Our number is 213-570-8069 and it's also listed in our show notes. Give us a call and leave a voicemail with your take. And leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so we can pay our crippling student loan debt back. That's just a joke. I never went to college. (laughs) And I went to a state school, so I paid it back years ago. That's a wrap on this week's Galaxy Brains. Next week, we're... Wait, wait a minute, David. Uh, Am I reading the story that says here we're talking about the 15th anniversary of Idiocracy and our guest is my old pal Kumail Nanjiani? Yeah, what about it? You guys are friends, right? The Meltdown Show thing and uh, whatever? Yeah, we had a show on Comedy Central for three seasons. It's going to be nice. He hasn't talked to me since he became a a superhero, so it's going to be really cool to catch up with him. So you're not going to replace me with him at some point? Dave, I made a promise years ago that I would co-host a show with a handsome, charismatic brown guy for a few years and never speak to them again. Wash, rinse, repeat. It's just sort of my thing. I'm sorry, bud. Okay, so you are going to replace me with somebody younger and more handsome. Yadoye Travis. Yes, absolutely. Well, I guess I'll enjoy this while it lasts. It'll be a while, though. But just don't get comfy in that chair, man. In the meantime, why don't you just read the credits like you are so good at? Okay, well, um, I mean, I'm just a little emotional right now thinking about my future. Just click into it. Don't don't, don't overthink it. Remember, I am the white guy springboard to brown people's success. (laughs) Okay, so are you saying maybe I'll... Maybe I'll win an Oscar for something after this. It'll be nominated. Okay, nominated. I'm okay, okay, here we go. Okay, Galaxy Brains is produced by Kylie Holloway and me, Dave Schilling. The show is engineered by Dan Turek with music from Gautam Shrikishin. Our executive producer is Matt Patches and our developing producer is Zach Mack. Polygon's editor-in-chief is Chris Plant and Russ Frushchik is director of special projects. Special thanks to Andrew Malnazek who helped create the show. And special thanks to Dave Micro Machines Man Schilling. Until next time, I'm Jonah. And I'm Dave. Take us home, Antoine. Bim, 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 bim.
bing, blah, bing, bing, bing. Bro, comic book, flippity flap flap. Bits of scripting and lots of characters from the movies. A human from a shield. Oh, Asgard, and oh, a guy with goggles, oh, and a British person, a man with an iron hand. Marvel, Marvel stunts. Studio. Studios, Marvel Studios, Ooh, Marvel Studios. <laughs> <laughs>